millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Relentless Dairy on Podbean.com. Welcome back to the land of bourbon and bad decisions. This is Relentless Daring live on Podbean.com and the Podbean app. Of course, I say live. This is pre-recorded. Um, and not necessarily just those two places. You can also check it out at RelentlessDaring.com slash podcast. You can check it out on Facebook because apparently it shares there now. It's awesome. It's great. All the distribution. <laughs> but anyways. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the episode that could do me in. Yes, I had the episode a few weeks ago where I admitted I was probably going to lose some followers, probably going to lose some money, whatever, because I had opinions on Alec Baldwin at the time that could, that went against a lot of narratives based on the information I had available. And you have to be willing to take risks if it's what you think is right. And at the time, based off the evidence, I thought I was right. More recent evidence come out that Alec Baldwin was a complete doofus, had no business handling a gun ever in his life. But that is not the point. The point is you have to be willing to take risks. And in this episode, what risks did I take? Well, I sat down on Zoom with a man named Aswad Khan. Aswad is a Pakistani citizen lived in the United States for a number of years, loves the United States, went to college in the United States. The man has two bachelor's degrees from Northeast University in Boston. He's a smart guy, wonderful, great conversationalist. However, when his dad had a stroke, he went back home to make sure his dad was taken care of. And after about a year, his dad's rehab comes back to the United States and suddenly he finds himself under suspicion from the FBI who wants him to be a confidential informant. So that conversation is forthcoming. It's a great listen. I have never met anybody who loves the United States as much as this guy, except for Maybe Jonathan Dunn from Ireland, who's another great foreigner who loves his country. Those two are like top of the list of loves America most the most loves America more than most Americans. But before I get into the interview, let me tell you about American Pride Roaster Coffee. Yes, the finest coffee in all of the Midwest. If you're a fan of flavored coffees, they have some amazing flavored coffees. They, Me, I'm not so much a flavored coffee fan. I like regular, plain, straight up, get the flavor of the coffee coffee. 
I like I like my whiskey to be whiskey flavored. I like my coffee to be coffee bean flavored. My favorite has to be the Teddy Roosevelt blend. The Teddy Roosevelt blend is a bold Brazilian blend that pays homage to his explorations of Brazil. I mean, it's not overpowering. It's just a great, well-rounded flavor. It's bold. It's not really acidic. It's absolutely amazing coffee. Get yours today at aprcoffee.com. Go out there, and whenever you do your checkout, there's a special instructions for shipping. Click on that and tell them that you heard about their coffee from the Relentless Daring podcast and Tyler Morgan. aprcoffee.com. Historically great coffee. All right, so I am very happy to welcome this guest. Um, he has an amazing story. Um, Aswad Khan, all the way from Karachi, Pakistan. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Dad. I really, really appreciate your time and the opportunity to uh, tell the viewers about my story. And I'm really grateful for this opportunity. And um, thank you. All right, so let's go back. Um, so I know you lived in the United States for quite a while. Um, so why were you over here? Uh, what had you living in the United States? Basically, my entire family, uh, my mother's side of the family, um, everyone lives in Connecticut. And I, I grew up in Connecticut in the sense that uh, I had my maternal aunt and my maternal uncle and all of my cousins, everybody lives in Connecticut. So that's like my main base within the United States. Um, and the U.S. has always been my second home. So uh, I grew up um, visiting my friends and uh, uh, family and all my close connections within Connecticut. And I decided that um, for college, I wanted to go to Boston. And Boston's quite close to Connecticut. And uh, I was in a five-year program at Northeastern University. Um, it's four years education and one year co-op. So five years I've lived in, in the United States in my adult life. And, um, I have a very good understanding of the United States. I grew up there. I've traveled to Disney world. I've been to California. I've been to Vegas. I've been to my, like, you know, Florida, New York. I've been all over. I've driven all over, all over the United States. I've been to Georgia, um, south of the border, like, I've, I've, it's just, it's been my second home and it's, it's a country that I've always loved, uh, a country that I, that's very dear to me. And, um, I just can't believe that this happened to me. You know, um, this was this, this, this entire episode. Now that I look back at it in hindsight, it's been 10 years. Um, it definitely has ruined my life to a certain, a certain extent. And the one thing that it's taken away from me is the fact that I was unable to see my family, visit my nieces, my nephews. Um, I have college professors. I have, you know, good connections within the United States. Uh, I just, I can't ever come back and it's just disappointing, you know, and over what, over a simple refusal. So I just don't see where the justice in, in, in any of this is, but it is what it is. Right. Yeah. Um, so what, what was the, the start of you're not being able to come back to the United States? Where did that begin? 
basically, I graduated from Northeastern University um, in 2009. Uh, I graduated in a double major on in business management and onto an entrepreneurship. And basically, I, uh, I I came back to Pakistan after I graduated, and um, on my and then. I stayed here for a year, year and a half. My father was actually ill during that time. He had suffered a stroke. So that's one of the reasons why I actually had come back after college. Um, I had a work permit. I could have stayed there for a year or two years um, after college and, you know, gotten a job and worked in New York and, you know, done whatever I wanted to. Unfortunately, I couldn't do that because my father was ill and I had to come back to Pakistan. So I came back. My father became better. And uh, after that, you know, I, I had family in Connecticut, so I decided that, you know what, I'll get my visa um, and I'll go visit my uh, family and my friends. And my aunt's husband at that time, who's no longer with us, he had a major heart surgery and cardiac problems. And she wanted me to come and it was kind of scary that we didn't know that whether he was going to make it or not. So I was like, you know what, I'll be there. Don't worry, we'll figure it out. Um, we're family, family always sticks together. And I'm very close to my uncle and my aunt because I, I've, I've grown up with them and I have cousins there. So I decided to go to Connecticut in 2011 um, uh, after I got my visit visa and I visited them and this incident took place on that trip. All right, so the, this is a really, really difficult situation just because I mean, yeah, you, you're, you're an immigrant, you have your visa to be here. And because you're from Pakistan, you get targeted by the FBI. Of course, definitely. (laughs) Like, uh, it's crazy, uh, that like, I'm just shocked by, by the fact that I, I have never felt this helpless in my entire life. A college-educated guy whose father probably spent close to God knows how much money in terms of paying the college fees and the tuition and room and board expenses. I had my own apartment in Boston for five years. You're looking at nearly a $300,000 you know, uh, for a college education. And I got hustled like I've never been hustled in my life before and over absolutely nothing. And I, I mean, I'm, I've studied business. I've studied entrepreneurship i run a small business in pakistan and i can i can promise you i i i was speechless i mean i was shocked at, at like just like trying to figure out that what do i do and seeing the fear on my lawyer's face that was enough for me and i was like why are you scared you're supposed to represent me and you know like i've come to you for help so tell me what i should do in this situation and he just like looked at me and he's like i said like, where do you want me to begin? You know? And I'm like, man, tell me what I need to do. Let's figure out a solution. I'm a solutions person. You know, if there's a problem, let's find out a solution. And what is the problem? You know, what crime was committed? Um, you know, my record in the United States, if you look at it, nothing is hidden. Uh, five years I've lived there. I've never, like, you know, touched with, never been arrested. Never, ever have I been, been in trouble with the law on any, on any level. The most I have is probably a speeding ticket. That's it, which everybody gets. You, you know, we get parking tickets, we get speeding tickets, we get pulled over. But besides this, um, I'm not a criminal. I haven't done anything. So what, what should I be scared of? You know, I'm an educated guy. I'm going to stand up for my rights 
And at that time, I thought I had rights, but I was completely wrong. I don't have any rights. All right. So go back to the beginning of all of this. Reading through the article that was written about you in The Intercept, you woke up one morning to a phone call and everything just kind of went from there? Exactly. That's exactly what happened. Um, I was staying at my aunt's house in Connecticut and uh, I was sleeping actually and I got a phone call and it was my cousin's telephone number which appeared on my phone. So I thought that, you know what, she stepped out for work and she's probably forgotten something, maybe a lunchbox or God knows what, and she's locked out of the house or something and she wants me to open the door. So I answered the call, you know, thinking it's my cousin. So I'm like, hey, what's up? And uh, the, the person was clearly not my cousin. So, <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, how are you? Um, what do you want? You know, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out it's the FBI agent. It's not my cousin. So I was like, what, what is going on here? You know, it's like, it's like I'm speaking to Tyler right now, knowing that, you know, this is Tyler and me talking. But it's not Tyler. It's somebody else. So I was shocked. I'm like, well, who is this? And the guy's like, uh, this is the FBI open the door. We're at your main door. And I'm like, okay, everything. Like, you know, I'm just trying to process it in my brain. Like, what is going on here? Like, it, it really took, I was surprised. I was shaken. I was shocked. I'm like, what the hell is going on here, man? And basically, I was in my, in, 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 in bed, in my night suit. I jumped out of bed. I went down, downstairs and I opened the door. And uh, uh, two gentlemen are standing there in suits with like, you know, full on with their sunglasses. And it's, it looked like a Hollywood movie, straight up. Like, I thought I was like, like I just like stared at them. And I'm like shocked. I'm shivering. I'm confused. And I'm like, you know, nobody's home. My aunt wasn't home. My cousins weren't home. Everyone was at work. It was bright, like early in the morning. I would say like 9.30, 9.15, something like that, 9.30. And, and I'm like, how can I help you? And they're like, we want to talk to Aswath Khan. I'm like, I'm speaking. And uh, it just it just started from there. And then, you know, after I started processing it, at that time, I, I can clearly remember I was like shaking, like, you know, FBI, Connecticut State Police. Like, this is some like high tech stuff, man. Like, you know, like what's going on here? And um, that's it. And I'm like, you know, um, should I, you know, have an attorney present? Like, what do I need to do? Like, this was my first entire time that I have faced law enforcement to this degree. And the mistake that I made, now that I look back at it in hindsight, I should have shut the door and I should have never spoken to them. That's where I made a mistake. But being a normal person, being naive at that time, I was also 26 years old. Now I'm currently 36. Um, I thought that, you know what, let's talk to them because there's nothing to hide. So what do I have to hide? You know, I have nothing to hide. So I'll talk to these guys. And I did. And that's a, a normal reaction to have is, you know, at the heat of the moment to say, okay, I, I haven't done anything wrong. Yeah, let's go talk. Because uh, we see this happen all the time here in the States where someone is asked by the FBI to, hey, can you give us some information on something? Well, I haven't done anything wrong. I'll go talk to them. And if they have a detail wrong or they, they misremember something, they don't have all the, they don't have the dates right or they don't anything like that. If the FBI wants to squeeze them, they can come after them and say, Oh, look, here's where you lied to us because we know you weren't there at this day at this time, like you told us. So we want you to turn evidence for us or we're going to prosecute you for lying to the FBI. That's up to five years in prison. 
and it's one of the most exactly. it's one of the most ridiculous uh abuses of power that the government has i mean that's 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 above even uh uh civil asset forfeiture where oh we think you're doing something illegal but we're not going to charge you anything we're just going to take your crap Exactly. Agreed. And that's, that's something my attorney brought up to me. He's like, um, by you deciding to go to the diner and I like, basically, um, on this happened on February 9th, 2012. And when they knocked on my door, I eventually went with them, which I should not have gone. I went to the local diner, which was probably 10 or 15 minutes away within that city. And we had a chat and that's what my attorney also told me that, you're very lucky in the sense that, you know, you answered their questions truthfully. You were honest about everything. You were straight up about everything. Um, you, you know, you did whatever you could, but the problem is that you're dealing with two men, two people who, this is their job description. This is what they do for their careers. Their job is to entrap you. Their job is to pick and write your words, you know, take notes, record your conversations, etc. Like God forbid, even if one detail was not accurate, they don't care whether you're scared or you're shivering or whatever the hell's going on in your brain, but you can get yourself into trouble. And on such a petty situation that, oh, he lied to the FBI. So you want to be careful for that. But thank God, I mean, I was honest. I mean, I'm a pretty friendly guy. I'm pretty social. I'm pretty outgoing. I'm pretty open. And um, that's one mistake that I made. And uh, that's one thing that I would tell people, any anybody, for that matter, anybody, any citizen, any non-citizen, any person, when you're dealing with the government and they show up at your doorstep, you have every single right to an attorney. And I would suggest, and I would, you know, urge them to get an attorney as soon as possible because an attorney validates everything that you are going to say to them. You have, you have someone next to you who's going to be on your side and he will actually say that this conversation never happened. So, that's something that I, I, that's one mistake that I did make was that I, sh I should not have gone to the meeting at the diner. Yeah. And, and that's ridiculous. So, okay. So February, 2012, you, you have this meeting with the FBI at the diner and what was the first clue that your life was going to hell after that? Basically, it was February 9th, 2012, yeah. And after that, basically, the reason why I knew my life was going to hell after that and was was as soon as he dropped, like, on after the meeting, you know, he talked about political stuff, family stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, one, guy, uh, one guy was a good cop. One guy was a bad cop. And, you know, like, they were, they basically, the moment I realized that, look, if I don't work with them, like they're going to bully me. They're going to like, you know, like something's going to like, something was just off about this meeting. Like it was, it was like one of those proposals that you're either forced, like you have no, like it looked like I had no option, which is like, like, I don't know who you are. I don't know who the other guy is. And you're offering me something. And that also in a very shady way, not telling me what the job entails because it's national security. And it's like, you know, they're not supposed to like tell me all the details about everything. And they're trying to offer me like, you know, money and small perks and blah, blah, blah. And they're seeing that this guy's not budging. So I can see in his voice how like he's getting, like he's trying to intimidate me and try to pressure me to take the job. Like the, the, their entire target was for me to work for them. And they repeatedly said that you're a good guy. You know, we know you're not a troublemaker. 
And I'm thinking like, okay, you know, I'm not a troublemaker. I'm a good guy. But, you know, why am I being forced to work for you? Like, like it wasn't adding up in my brain. But the moment I realized that it's going to be further trouble for me is when he was dropping me home. He said, don't tell your aunt. Do not get a lawyer. Do not tell anybody. And we will pick you up or we will call you. And we will tell you the next time we have to meet. So I'm thinking in my head, like, I'm already like a slave to their system. Like, why am I answerable to the to these people? Under what rules and regulations should I be answerable to them? Like, I'm not even a U.S. citizen. But even if I was a U.S. citizen, why should I be answerable to anybody else? Like, you know, why? On what what grounds do they own me? Why am, why am I being dictated by somebody else? You know, I'm an educated person. I know that like, I this is my life, you know? I can, I can, I should have the right to make my own decisions in the free world, right? The United States is the best country on the planet. We talk about freedom, you know, this, like ever since I was a kid, I was in high school and middle school and elementary school. And we've always said the Pledge of Allegiance because I've always been in an American school, whether it's a private school, I've always grown up in the American system. And it ends on these, these beautiful words, liberty and justice for all. So I was always under the under, understand, understanding that, you know what, there's liberty and justice for everybody. No one can abuse the law. And it's such a beautiful country. Which And the reason why this country is better than the rest, and it's a beacon of hope for the rest of the world, is simply because of its laws. That's it. Checks and balances between all of the three branches, the executive branch, the legislative branch, the judici uh, judicial branch. What I'm trying to say is, no one can abuse power. And that is the beauty of America. And after this experience, I can proudly tell you, <laughs> there is a major abuse of power that's happening. And there's nothing that anyone can do about it. And that's, that's what's alarming about this entire situation. And the scary part is that it's not just you. Um, it, what Back last year, there was this big plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan. They arrest 20 some odd people and more than half of them are FBI informants who, and according to the ringleader of this militia group, the biggest people pushing this kidnapping plot was the informants. It wasn't something they originated exactly. with. And we see this and uh, you, while we were emailing back and forth, you mentioned uh, an FBI agent who he came forward, you know, and released classified materials going, look, we have been targeting these, these uh, Muslims and immigrants to try to turn and get them to make a plot against us. And then we arrest them. And that's, exactly. that's horrible. It's horrible. I agree. I totally agree. Um, and this is one of the reasons why, like, I mean, I know Tyler that you've told me a little bit about your background when you were when we when we had reached out for the podcast and you served for the U.S. Army, and that's a decision that you had taken, you know. And the rest of the citizens and non-citizens, whoever is in the army, we we respect you guys. We look look forward to you guys because you guys are risking your life for your nation, and there is there's no amount of respect like that is as as good as and as big as it gets, you know, and. I'm just shocked that this is what's going on. Like, it's just, it's, 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 it's absurd. And why do you, like, you know, 
offering somebody to become an informant and then not giving, letting them decide whether they want to do it or not. It should be a decision that you joined the army. It was your decision. You wanted to risk your life. You wanted to fight for your country, but not every other, or every normal person, let me just say, let, not every normal person is willing to sign up for this type of a business. And the reason why is, is because there's a lot of risk involved in it, clearly. Like, you know, your life is at risk. The, uh, you know, especially with the FBI, the life of your loved ones is at risk. So there's a lot of risk involved, you know, and I guess it's, 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 it's cut off for people who are cut out for this kind of stuff. Normal people, they want to go to work. They want to have fun on the weekends. They want to drink a beer. They want to chill. They want to go for a movie. You know, they want to do like normal things. It's very like rare that you'll find people that are willingly like committed to like become informants and become spies and you know, this kind of do this kind of double life. And it's okay if majority of people do not want to work in this type of environment. I think it's completely normal. And I think that I, like, it was the best decision of my life that I made that, you know, I'm not cut out for this. I've studied business. I've studied entrepreneurship. That's where my passion is. Like just, that's it. I'm not passionate about this line of work, but you know, I'm grateful that you guys are doing what you guys are doing. And I respect you for putting your life at risk, but not everyone's cut out for it, man. Right. And the fact that they would try to pigeonhole you because, okay, he's Muslim. He's from Pakistan. So we can get him to be a CI. And I'm presuming in, in Connecticut, there's not a lot of mosques that they worry about with, uh, you know, imams preaching uh, radicalized Islam. So they're going to try to get you to go somewhere where they have had concerns in the past. Like you're not going to stick out like a sore thumb. And, and like you said, that puts you at danger, puts your your aunt and your cousins in danger if they should want to try to retaliate against you. For sure. And the funny thing is, I'm not even like, I'm, I mean, I'm Muslim. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I believe in God. I believe in, you know, respect for all types of humanity. I respect all cultures, all religions, everything, but I'm not a conservative Muslim. I'm liberal to be honest with you. I party, I drink, I do everything, you know? Um, and I've, I, I mean, I, I've, I've grown up in a pretty like non-conservative type of environment. And I, and I told them that I said, guys, uh, if you're trying to like, you know, put me as some like radicalized person, you know, who prays five times a day. And although that's not a, it's not a crime. If you, if you're close to God and if you're praying, people pray in churches, people pray in synagogues, people pray in mosques, people pray. Like it's, if you're close to God, that's, that's between you and God. It's your relationship. He is our creator, right? All religions, no matter what religion it is, whether it's Christianity, Judaism or Islam, we all believe in the same God, right? It's, and, and, we, and, and we also have prophets. Like Jesus is my prophet as well, you know, just like Moses. And um, I'm, what I'm trying to say is I tried telling them that I'm not even like, I'm not proud to say this really openly, but I'm not even properly a Muslim even. Like I'm, I'm, I, I know what my religion is. I know what my roots are, but I'm not that example of that person that you're looking for. You know, the one that like has like, you know, like I would ask questions like, do you, do you have prayer beads? And I'm like, what do you mean? Do I have prayer beads? Like, do I carry them in my pocket? Like, no, 
um, do you pray five times a day? I said, not really. Um, do you guys, do you go for Friday prayers? I'm like, I'll go, but like once in a blue moon, you know, like I'm not, I'm not religious. Like, I don't know how else to say this to you, but I believe in the concept of religion. I believe in the concept of God. I'm close to God. I speak to God. But me speaking to God does not mean I need to pray five times a day. I can speak to God even right now. You know, like whenever I feel like, like my relationship with God is between me and my God. He's my creator. That's it. So I don't know, man. Like they just had the entire facts completely upside down. And it was just, it was just a horrible experience. That's about, that's all I can say. And it's, it's ridiculous. And I spent, what, 17 total years because I did what, eight and a half years in the National Guard before I went active duty. And mm-hmm. I, I love my country. Obviously, you don't serve in the military if you don't. Well, I, I take that Absolutely. back. I, I've met some people there. They're just there for the college money. But I digress. Um, But to see the country that I fought for, that you know that constitution that I swore to uphold and defend, and to see our government just ignore everything about it, and yeah, you know, this is what I was telling you and uh, Murtaza, the the author of that article from the Intercept. This is one of those issues that I don't care what your politics are. I don't care if you are a progressive. I don't care if you're a conservative. I don't care if you're you know, pro big state. I don't care if you're an anarchist. This is a right or wrong issue that anyone would get forced into this kind of situation for any reason. If the FBI or DEA showed up at my house, because I live out in the woods in a town that's got somewhat of a drug problem. And they tried forcing me to be, uh, you know, trying to be an informant on the local drug rings just because I live here. And then making my life hell because I said no, because I don't run in those circles and I would stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, that's, yeah, that's not a, that's not a, you know, oh, he's, he's got the white privilege protecting him or he's, you know, he's a brown skinned immigrant. That's like I said, it's right or wrong, period. End of story. I agree with you. I agree with you. And that's, that's, that's the other thing. Um, with the FBI, which which I was surprised and shocked to learn, like their behavior is it's all about fascism. Like it's become a fascist organization. Like, like in America, you 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 cannot be the judge, jury, and executioner. And with them, they are. They know how much power they have. Like it's it's absurd. Like it, the, they've created a system that a person like me. I can't even voice my opinion and say, you know what, guys, hold on here. You guys are wrong. Like, I want, like, I'm not even able to see my day in court in front of a judge. And, and, and we've always been brought up, like, whether we watch Hollywood movies or whatever, like, you're always entitled to your Miranda rights. You're always entitled to a, to a judge. Like, you are nobody to decide whether I am guilty or I'm, like, I'm innocent or I'm guilty a judge and a jury will do it for me, right? Like, I will have to see my day in court. Like, if I've committed a crime, I'm going to go in front of a judge and I'll have my attorney and I'm going to fight my case that, you know, this is, I have not done this crime. In this situation, you're never put in front of a judge. 
because like like my like I like I'll repeat myself. My attorney said it multiple times to me. Aswad, what do you want me to defend? <laughs> Excuse me. So I'm like, what do you mean? What do I want you to defend? I want you to defend my rights. And he's like, there is no crime committed. You were never arrested. You were not charged with any crime. You were never detained. So I'm like, if I'm never arrested, I'm not detained. I basically am not charged with any crime. What the hell am I doing here? Why am I on this so-called list, like this terrorist watch list? And how is it that February 9th, they approached me at the diner. February 17th, I went to the uh, uh, the interview at Bridgeport, Connecticut, in front of the U.S. attorney. I stayed in the United States for six weeks after this. Nobody bothered me. Nobody harassed me. After I leave, they put me on this list. Like, how is that fair? And we will be back to the interview after a quick word from our sponsors. Drizzly is the leading home alcohol delivery service available. Imagine being able to sit at home and pull up your smartphone and browse your favorite wine, beer, spirits, and then have it delivered to your home in as little as one hour. Go to drizzly.com or check out the link in the show notes and start shopping today. Not available in all areas, Please drink responsibly. Drizzly.com With the new year, many of us want to start on new goals. Maybe weight loss is a thing. Weight loss can be hard. Trying to find those balanced meals that fill you up and don't leave you craving snacks and having sugar crashes. One of the best things I have found is Keto Chow. Keto Chow has an amazing variety of shakes. You can have chocolate, strawberry, peanut butter, chocolate, banana. Heck, mix the two of those together, peanut butter, banana, and chocolate. I call it an Elvis shake. They're one of my favorites. They fill you up. They give you the nutrition that you need to help you lose weight. And if you use it with a well-balanced diet or if you go full-on keto, it helps you meet your macro goals. Check out ketochow.xyz. Hit the link in the show notes. And on your first purchase of Keto Chow, if you use the promo code RELENTLESS, I can save you 10% KetoChow.xyz. Keto Chow made easy. It's ridiculous. I mean, at least you're on the list with um, you know, other perfectly good people who have done nothing wrong. Uh, Cat Stevens, the singer-songwriter from the 70s, because he converted to Islam 30 years ago. He somehow ended up on the list. I, I don't know how that even works. Uh, but crazy. Yeah, and the what's sad is it's not even just, you know, nobodies like you or I. I mean, during all the... Uh, Donald Trump election stuff, uh, a retired U.S. general. They, the FBI wanted to prosecute somebody so badly that they took the document saying that, oh, he was perfectly true, uh, he was perfectly truthful and honest with us. And they turned it around and they doctored it and said he lied so they could prosecute him for lying to the FBI. 
Like I said, they, they don't care. If, if they want to push to charge somebody with something, they will. Absolutely, I could. The facts here. I'm brown, I'm Muslim, and I'm from Pakistan. And out there, I need the profile for them to label me anything they want. And they did. They, like, after the United States, um, they put me on this watch list. So I called up my attorney again when they started harassing my friends and family and uh, at, at GSK airport, at various airports around the United States. And I'm like, you know, and they're asking my friend such stupid questions. Where does he live? How old is he? What is his father's name? What is his mother's name? What is his full name? What is his nicknames, you know? And I'm sitting there laughing my ass off, like, you know, like completely, like, you know, just laughing. And everyone's like, why are you laughing? I'm like, because this is information they already have. When you apply for a U.S. visa, do you know how rigorous that form is? They ask you your entire details. My house address in Karachi has not changed ever since I was born. It's the same house. Um, what I'm trying to say is they have my email address. They have my telephone number. They have my Facebook ID. They have my Instagram account. They have all of my details. I have willingly given it to them. When I applied for my student visa when I was at Northeastern, they have my social security number. They have my U.S. driver's license. They have all the details on me. They do not need my friends or my family members to give them anything. And I, and, you know, it's not even funny. And, I, and I've also told my friends that guys, you know, if they were bothering you, the least you guys could have said is, you know, give him a phone call. Like his cell phone number is the same number. He is not hiding. If anything, I want to talk to them. And the amount of times, Tyler, I tried reaching out to them via my attorney. Um, th like this entire story before coming out, this, it, it took 10 years. There's 10 years of business behind this story. 2012, I was approached. I went for the, the meeting at the diner. Then I went with the, for another meeting with the U.S. attorney in Connecticut on February, uh, I think 17th it was, 2012. I came back to Pakistan in April. They started harassing my friends and family. I reached out to my attorney again. And I'm like, look, let's get an amicable solution. Call up the FBI agent, call up the U.S. attorney. I want a solution to this. I do not want any trouble. I am not a trouble, troublemaker. He couldn't do anything for me. Nothing. And I'm like, I'm willing to talk to them. I even called the U.S. consulate in Karachi. And I'm like, look, I have a perfect record in America. I want a solution to this problem. And I'm telling you, nobody was willing to give me any solution. So I'm just like, what do I do? And that, that is probably, I think, the most heartbreaking part of it is that, you know, yeah, the, the, the closing tagline for the Pledge of Allegiance is liberty and justice for all. But where is Aswad's justice? Because you, know, you love the United States, but... They've essentially barred you from ever coming back just because you said no. Absolutely. And the sad part is not even the fact that they said no just to the United, to the United States. The, like, it's sad enough that I'm not able to come back to America, not able to meet my friends, my family, you know, my, uh, I'm not able to see my university, not able to see my, I have a niece that's born on the same birthday as me. And uh, she's she just turned about a year and a half right now. Her name is Rowan. 
and basically uh, you know like like i'm shocked that she was born on the same day i know the odds are 1 out of 365 but still like i, I mean i wanted to see her i want to meet her uh, she will be you know her, uh, her she's going to be visiting pakistan with her mom and her uh, my cousin but i mean i look forward to that but like they've ruined my relationships with my family members like you know like i i wanted to like you know like vision america i always wanted to be on the good side and and the funny part is that amongst all of my friends in pakistan i was one of the one of the people that used to speak highly about america that it's the best country on the planet like it's i love it you know like i've been to europe i've been to i've been all over the world to be honest with you and uh nothing resonates as much as the united states like i think it's the best country um there's no doubt about it uh, you like you guys have everything you guys have like a mix of it's a melting pot you have like what makes america so great is all the different cultures all the different people like everyone's technically an immigrant whether you're from italy you know everyone made that country what it is like you know you can't like look at the history of that country it's people from all over the world everyone like you get everything In, in that population of 300 plus million people, you get people from all over the world. So, and the, and the cities you guys have, you have Boston, New York, Miami, you know, Vegas, you have, you know, uh, LA, like it's just a beautiful country, man. It's just, there's no, it, it's great. And it's really sad to see what they're doing because they're ruining a country, which is the beacon of hope for the rest of the world. And that's something that I don't even stand for. Like, like part of me wanting to speak out is also I want to help other people in my situation. But I also hope and I also pray that they can learn from this and they can change because history has always proven that the United States always fixes its act. Like they do change. Like if you can look at World War Two um, during that era, they went after the Japanese people. They did fix that. So there's always this obsession that arises. And I, I mean, I'm afraid to say that post 9/11, the obsession is with brown people and Muslim people, and that's just the way it is. So we we have to wait to see when this obsession is going to go away. And, and I I agree, and that that's something I hope for every day is that you know we move past those things. It's yes, brown people. who believe something different than the majority of Americans do did something absolutely horrifying to us and you know you you've also had other people who've taken that same twisted view of that faith and have done horrible things shouting Allahu Akbar since then and it's it's tragic that these assholes is that's what they are I mean it's it's mm-hmm. it's no different than you know, you know what 600 years ago 700 years ago people who pray to the same god that I do you know going in and killing as many you know arabs and everything else as they could because god said we need to take the holy land back it it's the same problem it, it's it's radicals regardless okay. of what religion it is it's radicals regardless of what political ideas you hold but we want to punish everybody because of the radicals i agree with you and those people who did like these horrifying acts on 911 
I can promise you, nobody stands behind them. Nobody, nobody, how dare they do this, first of all. Secondly, they cannot represent a religion. They cannot represent a human race. We're all in this together, to be honest with you. Whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Jew. Like, what I'm trying to say is, the more united we are, the better we are. It's, and, and, and if you think about it, you have 1.9 billion Muslims in the world. That's one in four people in the world is Muslim. So what are you going to paint? The acts of these stupid idiots that did whatever the hell they did, and there's no doubt about it. There's no, like, they deserve to burn in hell, and, and hopefully they will. But, but you cannot blame an entire religion for this. Like, my religion does not preach me to tell me to go and, like, God forbid, hurt somebody. You know, I'm not going to go hurt anybody. That's not, that's not what, I, what, my religion, what any religion preaches for that matter. You know, it's all about peace. We have to learn to respect each other. Um, respect each other's cultures. Respect each other's religions. You know, that's what, the, what, what, what humanity is about. It's, it, it's, we, we need to, like, it's better to be united. I mean, I've always realized, and it's always better for everyone to, like, respect each other, be united. Um, like, that's the way that the world should be. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be about, you know, uh, creating destruction and doing all these, like, you know, crazy wars. Like, I mean, if you just look at the wars in the last 20 years that the United States has embarked on, um, I'm a business person, so I'm just going to look at the, the money aspect of it. Like, $8 trillion has been spent on wars in the last 20 years. If I was a U.S. citizen, and I'm just saying if I was a U.S. citizen, I would actually ask the government that $8 trillion is a lot of money. Like, imagine if we could have fixed healthcare in the United States. Imagine if we could have built better roads, better schools. What about college tuition for people who want to afford college, you know, and they cannot afford college? Like, $8 trillion, man, is a lot of money. And you have 300 million citizens. And if this money was spent on them, you can only imagine what they can accomplish in life. Like, you, like America would be 50 times better because its citizens would be highly qualified, highly educated, and the world would, like, they can, they would, it would be impossible for the rest of the countries and the rest of the citizens of the world to compete with Americans. I would build my nation. I would, I would invest in human resources. That's what I would do if I was a government. Just, just, you know, just hypothetically saying it, like, $8 trillion, Tyler. You know, Tyler, that's a lot of money, man. Yeah, it is. And I, I wish to God we had more people in our government who were like you. Who were, I might not agree with you on how we could better spend that $8 trillion within the United States. But the fact of the matter is, you're looking at the United States, you're looking at this place that you love, and if you lived here and you had a say in the government about it, like, hey, we don't agree on this, but let's find where we do agree and let's fix this country. I love you for, for sure. that. It's a democracy, right, Tyler? In a democracy, you and me, you, you should have every right to argue with me, whether you agree with me or disagree with me. That is your right, and I respect that because this is a democracy. In a democracy... You should respect my opinion, and I should respect yours. But you're right. As a democracy, you know, we should be able to have those conversations where 
you and I can have different views on how we should fix the country, but ultimately the goal is the same. We love the country. We want to make it better. I agree with you hundred percent. And that's, that's, that's exactly what I was, you know, that's exactly the impression that I've always had that it is a democracy and we do have rights and we should be able to talk about anything that we want and without, without fear of being indicted or, you know, arrested or, you know, like whatever, like we're trying to, we want to make it the American educational system. You know, I'm a, I'm a proud Northeastern university alumnus, um, class of 2009. We've always been taught to ask questions. We've always been taught to, you know, raise your voice, you know, for human rights. And little did I know that I would have to face this situation, you know, and go through it myself. So that's what's really shocking about it. Like, it's, it's nuts. But the positive, the positive with this entire um, situation is that a lot of people reached out to me. Like, you know, from all over the world. And I think my story resonated with them. And they had some really, you know, great words that they, they said to me and which I will always hold dear and near to me. And um, I'm really grateful, you know, that, you know, people realize that, wow, you know, like seeing my face on this article, a lot of people were like, we were shocked. We know you. We know the type of person you are. We've, you know, we've shared moments with you. We've partied with you. You know, we've had drinks with you. We've spoken about life with you. We've traveled with you. And uh, to see you on this, it was shocking. You know, I had my college professor, my high school teacher, Mrs. Harris. She messaged me. I mean, a lot of people reached out. Yeah, and I have a few connections because I this show is completely independent. I'm not attached to any, you know, major distribution network, but I do have friends in places where it's like, Hey, I'm doing this interview. And as soon as I have it scheduled to upload, I'm going to send, send the link. So that way you can preview it and send that link to everyone you work with, because I want your story to get out to more because I'm a conservative and I see a lot of stuff that comes from the intercept and I kind of just shrug my shoulders because the intercept is not exactly a bastion of conservative thought. But when one of my friends right. who is a conservative shared your story, uh, number one, that that's the clue. I need to read it and then reading it. And it was just heartbreaking. And so I just want as many people to hear what this country that I love that I was willing to die for has done to somebody completely undeserving. For sure. I agree with you. And honestly, like, uh, everyone can have their rights and have their difference of opinions. And with, with Trump, I'll tell you something about Trump. He's a business person. He was president of the United States. Yeah. Okay. Fine. He had, he had the Muslim ban. He had all of these things. But the only reason why I respected him or I even, you know, thought about whatever, like something great about Trump, he wasn't part of the system. He was different. He wasn't your normal, normal person, you know? He wasn't a politician. So change can come. Like, and the reason why I compare him and I'm talking about him 
is because in my own country, it was a two-party system. There was two family dynasties in Pakistan that had taken power. It was the Pakistan People's Party and PMLN. And our current prime minister, Imran Khan, who's a cricketer, he's a very famous celebrity, um, uh, he, uh, Oxford graduate. He, owned, uh, he runs Pakistan, he's the prime minister of Pakistan, highly educated man. It took him 22 years to get into power. And everybody was, you know, like happy because we were like, finally the country is going to be in the right direction. Corruption will end. It's going to change the landscape of our country. And what I'm trying to say is that change happens. Like people in my country waited 22 years for this guy to become prime minister because we had lost faith in the political system. We, we were sick and tired of the, the two-party system that nothing is really happening. So this other guy, who he started up his own political party and he came into power. So he defied all the odds. So change can happen. But I'm not saying that, you know, like in terms of Republicans and Democrats, that's, that's a whole different argument. But what I'm trying to say is that people can come into power in, and make change and make positive change and fix this, you know? So everyone is born equal, created equal under the Constitution of the United States. Everyone, no matter what color you are, no matter what race you are, you have a fighting chance. Um, they say that the United States is a land of opportunity, which it is. I, I still believe that it is. That if you work hard, you get up every morning, you, you, know, you pay your dues to society, you do your 40-hour-a-week job, and you, you're passionate about something, you can attain your goals in America. That's the beauty of that country. So these are just bottlenecks um, that, that have happened to have occurred. But I think that they can fix it if they want to. And Congress should be, the, should be the ones that try to fix it because they're the ones who are paying the FBI, for example, the $9 billion budget per year. So they're the only ones that hold the strings because clearly right now, the FBI seems like it's not answerable to anybody. Yeah, except and, maybe the Congress, and even that's debatable, because they've kind of entrenched themselves to where, yeah, what are you going to do? Hold me in contempt, and it's it's sad they've gotten there. But Aswad, it has been great talking to you. I cannot wait to get this story out to get shared with people because everyone needs to know that, you know, yeah, this country that we love is it's back up to doing its horrific crap again when treating people who are foreigners and, you know, brown skinned like they're, like they're a terrorist just because they can. It, it's awful. Yeah. Especially people who, you know, like come to your country with a record within your country. Like, I've gone to university there, man. I was there for five years. Five years. Where were you? Like, where was the FBI when I was in college in Boston? Nowhere to be seen. Um, what I'm trying to say is that you don't treat guests this way. <laughs> that, that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. People come to your country. They're, you know, they're, they're your visitors. You give them some rights. Like, like, it, you, like they bullied me to the extent of, like, I, that I was bullied. I, I'm shocked. But... I still love America. Um, I know not everyone is the same. Just this one bad experience that truly messed up my life. Okay, that's fine. That it happened. I'm I'm okay with it. But 
my story is not only my story. My story also has 1.2 million people on it as well. Because on the watch list, there's 1.2 million to 1.9 million people. So they're trying to convince us that there's 1.2 to 1.9 million bad people on this planet. And yet we're still breathing. We're still alive, which is which is okay. I understand that. But I don't understand how there's 1.9 million terrorists on this so-called watch list. That doesn't make sense to me. And okay, fine. If they're on the watch list, at least give them a right to fight their inclusion on that watch list. The, the argument of this entire interview should be due process. What is the due process to remove yourself? Where is the judge in all of this? When will I see my day in court? Will I ever see my day in court? Why am I not able to go to a judge and say, judge, this is what they've done to me. Can you help me? Like, what, like who can help me? That's it. That's all I want. I want justice. And if that's also a crime, then so be it. But I, I think I deserve some justice. Absolutely. Aswad, thank you so much for your time. Uh, hopefully, hopefully your situation can get fixed and you can come back here and you can, you can chase down that American dream that you worked so hard for that. Our FBI just crapped all over again. Thank you so much for your time and God bless you. And look forward, look forward to hearing from you on this side of the pond. Thanks a lot, Tyler. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me as a guest on your podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. God bless America. Uh Bye. Thank you. All right. So that's going to wrap up this episode again. Huge shout out to Aswad Khan all the way from Karachi, Pakistan for coming on the show and doing this interview. Uh, This was interviews that it needs to be heard by everybody. So please, please, please share this interview with everyone you, you can think of. Send it to congressmen for crying out loud. Send it to senators. Figure out why in the world the FBI is targeting someone who admittedly has done no crime. So please, again, share it. Get this story out there. It needs to be heard. Again, the show is sponsored by you, the awesome listeners of the show, as well as a few other you know, awesome people, you know, APR coffee and all that. But really, a lot of the direct funding comes from you. So if you want to support the show, you can go to relentlessdaring.com. At the top of the page, you will see that donate button. Please hit that, and that will take you over to PayPal, except a one-time or a recurring donation. Or you can go to relentlessdaring.com slash shop, and you can check out the merch there. And the, again, all the money goes into making this show a better experience for you, the listener. Again. Thank you so very much. Y'all know y'all know the big thing at the end of the show. Subscribe, rate it, review it, share it. As I already said, share it. So again, thank you so very much for listening. Please enjoy this show. And as always, stay relentless. This is Relentless Dairy on podbean.com. Hey, 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 